good to see each and every one here tonight. We do have visitors with us, and we thank you for coming, and we want to invite you to come and to worship with us as often as you have the opportunity to do so. For several Sunday nights, I have been addressing some moral issues. We addressed the subject of abortion. We talked about homosexuality. We talked about gambling. And tonight we're going to talk about one that I'm afraid too many people would not consider a real moral issue. Tonight we're going to talk about the disaster of divorce. I realize that when I bring up this topic, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be uncomfortable even talking about this because this has become one of the moral issues that is a real challenge for our society today. And yet, if we're going to be honorable before God's word, we are going to address the subject, and we're going to address the subject as God wants us to do so. As I begin, the subject is very sad Nobody likes divorce except the lawyers. They're the only ones who are going to benefit from this. Everyone loses. Mama loses. Dad loses. The children lose. Grandma and Grandpa lose. There's something missing within the family when a divorce occurs. When you think about it, it has become a very real, sad situation in our society and the product of so much heartache. Divorce has been a plague on society in many ages. We look at our current situation and we think that because we live in one of the bad times that we're living in the worst of times. However, history will reveal that numerous ages have had difficulty with divorce. And I'd suggest to you that in the time of Moses, there was a very critical issue with it. And in the time of Jesus, there also was a very serious issue with it. So we're not living in a time that the Bible does not address. We're not living in a time which is unique. It's obvious that the question being asked of Jesus in his day meant that men were struggling with the subject. People really did not know the right answer and Jesus was going to provide that answer. What I'd like to do for the next few minutes with you is to look at number one, the current state of divorce in our society today. Number two, I would like for us to look at some correct teachings from Jesus. What Jesus said, particularly in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 10. We'll look at that more in depth. And then number three, one that I felt like considering I was dealing with moral issues, is to look at some contrived teachings of men. Whenever you have the truth taught, people are going to take that many times and to twist it and to try to contrive it to fit their own situation. Men always want to justify themselves in what they are doing. Let's begin with the current situation of divorce. This past week, I tried to look up the statistics for our state. The federal government collects statistics from all the states and puts those together in a form that you can read. The latest ones that were available were for the year 2009 
And for the state of Tennessee, it showed 55,200 marriages with 25,800 divorces. Of course, you recognize that these are rounded off numbers. When you compare that to when I preached on this subject the last time in 2005, so it's been seven years since I've dealt with this specifically, during that period of time in 2004, there were 67,484 marriages and 29,790 divorces. And you can say, well, look at the divorces from 29, almost 30,000 down to around 25 to 26,000. That's at least 4,000 less divorces. I want you to look, though, at the marriages. 67,000 marriages down to 55. That's 12,000 less marriages. People would like for us to believe that there are fewer divorces because marriages are staying together. The truth is there are fewer marriages. More and more people, and I'm using the biblical word here, are fornicating. They are living together. They are living in sin. I want to be abundantly clear for a man and woman who are not married to live as if they are husband and wife are living in sin. In fact, the 2005 edition, July the 18th of USA Today had a very good article on declining divorce, but so is marriage. And even the people of this world recognize that marriage is something that is going by the wayside. I'd suggest to you our country, because of the introduction of things such as, quotation, gay marriage, is something that has weakened the idea of the biblical marriage. And so people today are no longer participating in it. As of August 2010, the state of New York being the last one, all 50 states now grant a no-fault divorce. And if you don't know what a no-fault divorce is, it's simply this. Both sides say we're not going to either one admit that we have made a mistake. We're just going to say we're not going to be married anymore and a judge will grant it. There are two grounds for granting a no-fault divorce. The first one is real difficult. Irreconcilable differences. We just don't agree anymore. I don't like her. She doesn't like me. We can't get that back together. And so a judge will say there's irreconcilable differences. And so you can have a no-fault divorce. There's also another one on the books that says they are living separate and apart without cohabitation for two years with no minor children. And some do take advantage of that as well. One of the things in doing research for this, I noticed that there's some things that really deserve to be brought to our attention. There's a map that reveals the current state of our society. If you'll notice on the upper left-hand corner, those are the married households. And uh, as it gets darker, the darker represents the more places where people are married. If you'll notice in Middle Tennessee, there's a lot of people who are married there. If you'll notice, there's a lot of places where marriage is lesser. In fact, some of them that's in the very lightest of green is only 40 to 60%. Now, I know that's small, but I want you to, to realize that there's a large part of that. The upper right-hand corner is the widowed households. The lower left-hand corner, the blue, represents the divorced households. 
One of the things that you will observe is the darker blue represents where people, more than 25% of the people there are divorced. And then the lower right hand, which pretty much reflects a similar situation, is people who are still married but are living separate. They're separated. What this tells us is that our society is sick. Marriage is in trouble. Divorce and separation has become the norm. Some of the states have recognized that this is a real problem and are trying to address it. The state of Arkansas, the state of Arizona, and the state of Louisiana have passed what's called a covenant marriage law. And some people say, well, I don't understand what a covenant marriage is. Either, you know, either you're in a good marriage or you're not in a good marriage. Well, let me explain to you. A covenant marriage says that they agree to premarital counseling. That is, before a young man and a young woman get married, or even an older man or older woman get married, they have to have some counseling to explain to them what it is that they're doing, what they're entering into. It also makes it much more difficult to get a divorce by a mandatory waiting period or a cooling off period of at least two years with counseling before a divorce occurs. It's not even in the good interest of our society as a whole to have divorce. And even when secular people recognize this, those of us who are in the church ought to acknowledge that it is a problem and to begin to try to deal with it. Very few families have not been touched by divorce. I could ask you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to because I don't want to embarrass anybody. If I were to ask the question, how many of you have someone who is in your family your next of kin? Brother, sister, mother, father, son, or daughter that is divorced. I'd have to raise my hand. Most of us have seen this in our families up close and personal. The prevailing attitudes toward divorce are changing toward being more permissive. Even in churches. More and more people are confronting and they're saying, well, we've got divorced people. We've got to learn to deal with it some way. There's a church here in Warren County that says we'll take people in any kind of marriage and accept them. We have to realize if a person is in a divorce or a divorce has occurred, somebody has sinned. It may be the husband. It may be the wife. It may be both, both of them. But if a divorce occurs, somebody has sinned. We have to recognize that there is the possibility of, and we're going to talk about Jesus' teaching, a person being an innocent party. If such is the case, we should not lay a burden or an obligation upon them that God did not place upon them. But the permissive attitudes toward divorce are hurting the Lord's church. And it's causing the strength of the Lord's church to be diminished. So I want to discuss for just a few minutes 
the teaching of our Lord on this subject. And I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. I want you to have them open. I'm going to read it on the screen, but I want you to have your Bible. You need to have this marked because this is something you need to teach your children. This is something you need to know yourself. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for fornication, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case with a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, only to those whom it has been given. I want you to observe the multitudes, including specifically here in Matthew's account, the Pharisees, want to know if divorce is lawful for any reason. For any reason. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife because she's no longer as pretty as she used to be? Is it wrong for a woman to put away her husband because he's no longer as good of a provider as he used to be? Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife or a wife to put away her husband because they're sick all the time? You see, there's all these questions. What kind of causes? Jesus answered their question with a question and an appeal to Scripture. His question was, have you not read? What that question does is to say simply this. There is an authority on this subject. The authority comes from God's word. It does not come from man. And if you want to know the right answer, you need to be reading God's word on the subject. That's where our problems often derive is we're not reading what God says on not only this subject but any other subject. That's got to be our guide in all things that we practice and do. And so Jesus asked, have you not read? And what he does is to clearly explain God's design for marriage. It's stated in the positive. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then he adds... And what God has joined together, what God has joined together, let not man separate. 
You see, it is God's direction and God's divine authority that is behind this. But they want to know more. Usually whenever someone asks a question and you answer that question and it's not the answer that they want, you know what follows? Another question. Well, what about this? What about that? And so they follow up with Jesus' simple statement here that divorce and remarriage equals adultery. Now, I'm going to deal with the exception at this point. If a man puts away his wife and marries another, he commits adultery. That's exactly what Romans 7, verses 1 through 4 says. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man so long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she is married to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be married to another. What Jesus' statement says and what Paul says in Romans 7 are 100% exactly the same. God has never been pleased with divorce. In the book of Malachi, as he brings to a close the Old Testament record, we read, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Now, David said in Psalm 119, verse 104, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I learned that I need to hate the things that God hates. I need to love the things that God loves. If God hates divorce, I ought to hate divorce. And I do. I think that I've been around long enough to see the heartache that it causes in every family where it occurs. God's law is one man for one woman for life. Or as the opening slide said, till death do us part. After all, if you're married by most any preacher, that's going to be a part of your ceremony. When you say, I do, or I will, you promise that that's what you're going to do. If you don't, you've not kept your vow. But the Pharisees demanded an explanation of Moses' actions. You see, for them, that wasn't enough. And they said, well, why did Moses command a writing of divorcement? Well, what the passage they're referring to is Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn there, when a man takes a wife and marries her, it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. 
when she has departed from her house or his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land. The key word in verse 1 is some uncleanness. What did that mean? There were rabbis who would say the uncleanness meant fornication. There were other rabbis who would say that could mean anything from she is no longer pretty to she is no longer capable of fixing a meal that I'm satisfied with. Moses, according to Jesus, allowed or permitted them to divorce due to the hardness of their hearts. These people had already rejected God's divine plan and he was trying to regulate the sinfulness of them. Such was not God's intent from the beginning. God from the beginning did not intend this to be the case. Now I know some people are already thinking, Tony, you're just, you're just taking a no divorce for any reason line. No, the Lord gave an exception. But you've got to remember, it's the exception, not the rule. The idea today is there's no fault in divorces. Divorces for just any reason. And Jesus said, no, let me tell you, there is a limited exception. And that exception is if you are the innocent party and your spouse commits fornication, then you have the right, not the obligation, you have the right to put them away and marry someone else. Verse 9 again, And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And Paul made it clear that the Christian should make every effort to keep their marriage together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, Paul is answering questions that the Corinthians wrote. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1 now concerning the things whereof you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But by the time you get down to verse 10, there's a question about those of us who are married, what should we be doing? And here's what he says. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And, let the, and the husband is not to divorce his wife. Folks, I don't think you can make it any plainer than that. That's very direct. The disciples immediately recognized the strictness of what the Lord said. Notice with me again, verse 10. His disciples said to him, If such is the case with a man with his wife, it's better not to marry What they are saying, what the Lord clearly is indicating is, if you don't intend to be faithful to your vows, don't get married. 
If the person you are dating, young people, is not the person that you're willing and intend to spend the, all the days of your life with, don't marry them. You see, in God's eyes, marriage is to be for life. That is the correct teaching of Jesus. Now let me respond for just a moment or two to some of the contrived teachings of men. Rather than simply taking the teachings of Jesus and stress prevention of divorce, trying to help people before they get to a critical mass, before they, they're ready to go apart, some people are trying to already look for loopholes. You know one of the one things that bothers me when I have to do counseling for marriages? When the person comes first thing, can I get remarried? Can I get remarried? They're already asking before the divorce has occurred. Just like in Jesus' day, the Pharisees would feign respect for the Bible, but they lacked true respect because they were looking for loopholes. Listen to Matthew 23, beginning with verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it or sits in it. Folks, here's, here's the bottom line. We don't look for loopholes. We respect the Lord's teaching. If one respects God, and he will not only respect the letter of his law, but the spirit of it as well. Let me address some of the specific ones. Some suggest that Christians or non-Christians are not obligated to the law of Christ. Let me illustrate it. Here's John Doe. John Doe's out here in the world, and he marries a woman. He doesn't like her as well as someone else, so he goes and he divorces his first wife, and he marries wife number two. He really doesn't like her very well, and so he divorces her and marries wife number three. Then all of a sudden, he decides, I want to become a Christian. I want to be baptized. And he comes, and the preacher says, okay, I'm going to baptize you, and you understand that baptism washes away all of your sins, and he says, well, good, I'm in my third marriage. I guess that makes it okay. And what they will say is, is that when he was not a Christian, he wasn't obligated to the laws of Christ because he wasn't a Christian. Well, I've got a response to that. If that is true, then how does a person become a sinner? Romans 4.15 says, for where there is no law... There's no transgression. If I'm not obligated to the law of Christ, then what sin did I commit? 1 John 3, 4 in the King James said, sin is a transgression of the law. So if I'm not under any law, what sin did I commit? If there were no laws regarding speed anywhere in this world, then you could drive as fast as you wanted to, anytime you wanted to, and no one could write you a ticket for it. But there are laws. And see, what they're saying is they weren't obligated to them. Well, there's some questions that come up. 
If they believe this, what about a person who's a polygamist? They've got three wives or three husbands. They get to keep them all when they become a Christian. What about a person who's a homosexual? If baptism sanctifies everything, can they keep that, quote, life partner? What about a man who steals something? I go to Larry's flat and I... Flat's house and I steal his chainsaw and then I'm baptized and I become a Christian. It sanctifies Does that make that chainsaw now a holy chainsaw for me? Does repentance apply to all the sins that I have previously committed? They certainly do. Number two, others suggest that Paul excused divorce on grounds of desertion. As if I'm here and my husband and wife runs off. They didn't commit fornication. They just ran off. And so I can somehow say that's all right. They base this on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 15 where we read, But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. For the brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. And they're saying, they leave. There's nothing you could do about it. They left. What is discussed is either in this context being reconciled or remaining unmarried. Look again at verse 11. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled her husband. And not the husband divorce his wife. The key is this word bondage, not under bondage. And the people say, well, he's talking about the marriage bond there. That the brother or sister is not under bondage with that marriage. The truth is that can't refer to that. Because it's in the perfect tense. Which means it's not now nor was it ever. That kind of bondage. So it can't refer to the marriage bond because they previously had that. The meaning there is you're not under bondage to give up your Christianity. To maintain a marriage. But he's not in any way indicating any sort of remarriage. One of the most insidious doctrines is one that one cannot live in adultery. I've actually talked with some people who say that adultery is only a specific act and you can't live in it because that's just an act. They'll go to John 8 and verse 4 and it says there that there was a woman caught in adultery in the very act. And they would say that's an act and you can't live in adultery. But anything that you keep on practicing, you don't repent of it and quit it, you live in it. Listen to Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Therefore put to death your members upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. See, fornication like adultery is an act. But if I keep on doing it, then I live in it. And I've got to change my life. True repentance is only brought about by godly sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. If I really have the right attitude... I will change my life. 
marriage is a wonderful state and should be protected. Perversions of marriage and God's plan will not be allowed by God. Hebrews 13 verse 4 is very plain. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Perhaps the reason that God chose being a Christian, uh, chose as described being a Christian, being married is because of how sacred it is. In Ephesians 5.32, this mystery is great, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And also Romans 7 and verse 4, that you have been uh, joined to the body of Christ there. There's so much that could be discussed in this. I actually have taken longer than I intended to to present this lesson. But it's a moral issue. And I have tried to present it with kindness and compassion tonight, but yet at the same time to be very clear about what the Bible teaches. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, the greatest thing that you could do for yourself is to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of those sins that you have committed. And repenting of them means that you change your life. Then you need to confess your faith and be baptized for the remission of those sins. And from that point, live a new life. And if you're a child of God and you've got sin in your life, you need to correct it immediately. We'll help you. Would you come as we stand and sing?